Welcome. Good morning, everyone. And welcome to week three in our series on the mystery God. We've been, if it's your Sunday, first Sunday with us, we've been talking about uh, the Holy Spirit. So often, uh, we, we talk about God the Father, and we talk about God the Son, but not too often do we talk much about the Holy Spirit. And it won't work without the Holy Spirit, I can tell you right now. And so, if you ask, what, well, what's the objective of this series? You know, why, why are we preaching a series on the Holy Spirit? Well, too many believers are attempting to live the Christian life with little or no personal knowledge of this mystery God, and what happens is they end up walking in their own strength and experiencing only human results. Now, in week one, we actually built the case and validated the great need within the church today, and more specifically, in our personal lives, for the guidance and involvement of the blessed Holy Spirit. See, far too long... We have bought into this doctrine, and it's been, it's been preached from our pulpits in America that nobody's perfect. Oh, and God will understand. That's not what his word says. God says, I'm holy, and my people are to be holy. Now, in week two, we talked about, I love it, just let her praise and worship the Lord. In week two, we talked about God's greatest gift. This was last week, and that it's a twofold gift to all who will receive. God's greatest gift is a twofold gift. First, salvation. Salvation and all that it entails in the life of a believer for eternity. But that's not where it stops. So often we say, oh, I was saved. Well, what happened? There's a second part of this great gift. It's called the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Both personally and permanently. I love that. Now today, week three, we're going to identify who the Holy Spirit is and why he was sent to us by the Father. So let's start with that question. If you're following along as a listener's guide, it may help you remember some of this. I know it helps me. Who is the Holy Spirit? Well, you say, I know that one. He's a third member of the Trinity, and you'd be absolutely right. The Bible clearly tells us he is a person, the third person of the Trinity. So the first blank that you want to fill up there is he is God, the Holy Spirit. He is God, the Holy Spirit. Genesis chapter 1, the very beginning. It says, in the beginning, whose beginning? Our beginning, not God's beginning. God has no beginning. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Okay, it was the spirit of God that was hovering over the waters at the outset of creation. Amen? 
That's what we just read. So when the Bible refers to and it makes this statement in our image and likeness, it is actually referring to the fullness of God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. That is the fullness of God. Now, just prior to Jesus' arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said this to his disciples. And this is, this is at a time that uh, he's, he's in greatest anguish, and his disciples are very confused. Listen to what he says to his disciples in John 14. He said, I will pray to the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you for how long? Forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. You see, Jesus here is referring to the Holy Spirit as a he, not an it. We got to get this clear. It's, there's, there's a lot of confusion, and that's why we're, we're talking about it. He is one with the Father. Jesus and the Father are one. He is one with Jesus. Jesus is one with the Father. They're both one with the Holy Spirit. There's three in one. You cannot get one without the other. Now, my, my egg, my egg uh, example last week is a little flawed. So you have the egg shell, you have the egg white, and you have the egg yolk. But you can separate them. The health nuts will tell you you're better off without the yoke. But you can't separate God. And the other example I used was Sister Carolyn. Carolyn the mom, Carolyn the wife, Carolyn the daughter. Now, you can't separate that. It's all Carolyn. So he says, uh, I'm going to send you this helper. He is going to help you. So he is God the Holy Spirit. You know, the Apostle Paul affirms the personhood of the Holy Spirit. He said this in Romans 8. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Okay, so who is the Holy Spirit? He's the Holy Spirit of God, and he is a he, not an it. You with me? All right. So, by the way, the Holy Spirit is not a ghost. Sometimes he's referred to as the Holy Ghost. In fact, that may come from the King James Bible, which refers to the Holy Spirit in a number of places as the Holy Ghost. But a more accurate descriptive translation from the Greek and Hebrew is the Holy Spirit. And here's why. The Holy Spirit is not a ghost-like thing floating about here and there, manifesting himself in a mysterious, now you see him, now you don't. No, the Holy Spirit is the very essence of God Almighty. The Holy Spirit is the living personhood of God, not manifested in a fleshly body. Who was manifested in a fleshly body? Jesus was God manifested in the flesh. He walked in the flesh. So the Spirit of God is not a force. He is somebody. I want to make sure we understand this because then we know how to relate to him better. Well, here's a, 
Here's a question that we're going to ask, and hopefully will help us, because there's a lot of confusion in this area. The next question, how do we receive him? You know, there are many Christians who believe the Holy Spirit is imparted through some type of action uh, taken maybe by an ordained minister. It may be a prayer or laying on of hands or the pronouncement of a blessing. Listen, the Bible clearly tells us that God the Father gives the Holy Spirit. He is not imparted or imputed by human hand. You with me? Because there's a lot of that going on on TV. Bam! And you fall out in the spirit. That is not of God. One of the reasons why people tend to think of the Holy Spirit as an it instead of he is because they are thinking of the Holy Spirit as a force or a type of power rather than the Spirit of God. Is he everywhere? Yes. I've heard people say, when did you get it? Referring to the Holy Spirit. When did you get it? It's not an it. And we don't get it. He gets us. See, that sign, it it may be a, a sign of indwelling presence. I'll tell you what the signs of indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit is. They are the fruit of the Spirit. You look at an apple tree, you find apples. You look at a Spirit-filled person, you're going to see the fruit of the Spirit in their life. It's not how much you hop and jump. It's not how much you babble. It's not all this emotional stuff. Listen, I was raised in it. I know what I'm talking about. It was the most confusing thing ever in my life. Sign might be, well, speaking in tongues, that's a sign. Falling under the power of the Holy Spirit, shaking or quaking. Sometimes it's displayed in an an outburst of laughter or any other sign that comes to be associated with the Holy Spirit's presence in the mind of a particular believer. Here's the problem with that, folks. When we associate the Holy Spirit with a particular sign, what we are doing is trying to limit him to that singular expression. He will not be limited. He is unlimited, for he is God Almighty. The truth is, the Holy Spirit is not limited to one particular sign or manifestation. He is the omnipotent, omnipresent, and omniscient, all-loving God. He is not God's errand boy. He is God. I want you to know the truth, because there's a lot of falseness preached on television today. By the way, don't sit home and watch TV. Come to church. Be part of a family. Amen. The real question here, instead of us asking, how do we receive him? How about if we ask, when do you receive him? Because that will knock all this other stuff out. I can tell you, I've spent hours in a church listening to young teenagers seeking God's spirit to come into their life. Father, And I've listened to him pray, Father, uh, if there's any sin in my life, please take it out so I can get the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. Listen, folks, when you get saved, he's there. And all of him comes in. It's how much you and I, we give him control of. Amen? So the, the question then is, when do you receive him? Here's the answer. The moment you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. Amen? 
Oh, praise God. Listen, listen to what Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. See, this was the day the Holy Spirit arrived and was manifested. Here's what he said. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Accept Jesus, and you will get the Holy Spirit. Amen? There it is. That was on the day of Pentecost. See, where a lot of the confusion comes is we take our English words and we get them confused. Our English words cover many, many independent words in the Greek and the Hebrew. It says, and they spoke in unknown, in unknown tongues in the King James. What it says in the Greek is they spoke in other languages. And the people in Jerusalem that were gathered around them that day heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, the salvation message, preached in their language. You know, I find it amazing, and I'm guilty of this too. I find it amazing that I am willing to trust God with my eternal salvation. But yet somehow I think it's too hard for him if I was on the mission field. And listen, if you've heard any of my Spanish, you know I've got trouble. My wife says, do not speak Spanish or French or just stick with your English. But do you realize, think about this, if I was in a foreign mission field and someone wanted to know Jesus Christ, I could speak to them. English might come out of my mouth, but they will hear whatever language they need to hear it in. That is not too hard for God. This is the God who spoke everything into existence. So it's purposeful. It's purposeful. Paul the Apostle spoke to that because there was a lot of confusion in the early church. People would come in, and he said, if, if you're, you're all speaking in tongues and there's no interpretation, first of all, a lost person's going to think you're all crazy, and it doesn't serve any purpose. He said, if you have a, 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 gift, or a, 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 a gift from the Lord in an unknown tongue, you must have an interpretation or don't say it. Amen? How many of you here have ever been in a Pentecostal church? Okay. Listen, if you'd have talked to me when I was 21 and said, you're going to be a Baptist preacher, I would have called you out. Say, you're crazy. I'm not even sure Baptists are saved, but that's because I'd been filled with this false doctrine. I didn't know when I was saved and when I lost because I could lose my salvation. That's what I was taught. And, and you get saved and then you get sanctified and then you get filled with the Holy Spirit. What's wrong with that picture? First of all, you can't get one without the other. Second of all, who do you think is going to take you through that sanctification process? We give him enough trouble when he is there. If he wasn't there, we wouldn't go. What happens is as we go through the sanctification process, and that is the setting aside of the old and taking on the new, we come to the place where we say, Lord, I don't want you just in the... In the foyer of my house. I want you in all the rooms of my house. And you give him full access. You begin to walk in the spirit. Paul, that's what Paul was talking about. We walk in the spirit so we don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. If this is your first Sunday here, I want you to hear something because you may not have heard this anywhere else. When you got saved, your spirit got redeemed. Your flesh is still lost. You understand what I'm saying? That's, I had so much trouble with that. I felt like such a failure because they said, Paul says, the things that I mean to do, I don't. And the things that I don't mean to do, I keep doing them. But it's not me. And I'm thinking, oh, yeah, here we go. 
No, he said, it's not me. It's a sin that still dwells in my flesh. What I didn't understand was what Paul was saying. My flesh is still unredeemed. Your flesh still wants to do what it's always wanted to do. It's still selfish. And unless we take the power of the Holy Spirit, who's given to us upon salvation, and say, God, take control of me. I'm giving you control. I'm going to put you on the helm. I, got, I love that old picture. I'm, I'm a sailor. And I love that picture. You ever seen a where the sailor's on the helm and Jesus is standing behind him and it's stormy. There's only one problem with that. (laughs) I'd rather have Jesus on the helm and let me look over his shoulder. Amen. See, it is the Holy Spirit who baptizes us into Christ. He is the one who completely covers us with the redemption shed blood of our Savior. It is the Holy Spirit who gives us our new identity who sends, or so, so, excuse me, so that we can truly be born again spiritually. Without the Holy Spirit, you cannot come. God says, you can only come if I draw you. Who's drawing you? His Spirit is drawing you. We can't come to salvation unless he draws us. That's why I say, don't always think you got tomorrow. If he's calling you today, today is the day of salvation. It's Jesus who's sitting at the right hand of the Father, according to Scripture, and he's the one who sends his Spirit to dwell in us. Jesus is the one who purchased the remission of sin for you through the death on the cross. So, if you have received Christ Jesus into your life, in God the Son, you have received the fullness of God. In your life, listen, you cannot receive part of God. I asked that in our new members class. What do you get, like a down payment of the Holy Spirit? I'm not trying to be funny. I'm trying to look at how ridiculous that is. No, he comes in, and he's there. And we've talked about it many times on our Sunday night class, our young adults. He's there with us. No matter what we're doing, he's there with us. It's good to remember that. That's why our bodies become the temple of the Holy Spirit. The person of God who resides within you, who dwells in you, who abides in you, who fills you, is God, the Holy Spirit. So that answers the question. Who's the Holy Spirit? He is God, the Holy Spirit. Okay. Well, why does God send the Holy Spirit to us? We may know this, but I I, I want us to know some specifics. There's two main reasons I see in Scripture that God sends his Holy Spirit. First is the Holy Spirit enables us and empowers us to be witnesses of Christ Jesus to a lost and dying world. If the Holy Spirit is not governing our lives, we will not share the gospel. We'll get distracted with any and everything else. And the second, the Holy Spirit enables and empowers us to do the ministry of Christ Jesus in our service to other believers. And that's what Tony was talking about. So, number one. Why does God send the Holy Spirit to us? It's, he gives us the power to be witnesses for Jesus Christ. You know, many Christians seem to think that the only, there's only certain people that are called by God to accomplish specific tasks on earth. And, and the categories they believe are, are for the called ones are like preachers and teachers and apostles and evangelists and pastors and missionaries and so forth. But the Bible tells us that all believers are called to be witnesses. All believers. 
Acts 1, 8, if, but when you receive power, but, excuse me, but when, I'm so excited, I got to call him here. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now, I've had people say, well, Jesus was talking to his disciples. Listen, those 12 didn't cover all that territory. They told somebody who told somebody who told somebody. Amen? So not every person is called to be a preacher or a pastor or a missionary or an evangelist or a teacher, but some are called to be school teachers. Some are bus drivers, Max. Some are moms, carpenters, engineers, nurses, doctors. And even some are called to be lawyers. I know, it's hard to believe. I'm just messing. God calls people to fill every niche of society with his presence and power. This is how he has chosen to reach the world, through us. Listen, not every person, probably more than not, will ever turn on a Christian radio station or listen to a television program or even walk into a church to hear the gospel preach. No, that's not the typical way. That's why God has placed you where he has in society. You are there for a purpose. Every believer is called to be a witness for Jesus Christ in the world. Okay, so if we're going to be a witness, then we're going to need the Holy Spirit to enable us. So if you're following along on your listener's guide, the Holy Spirit gives us what? Well, the first thing that we list is he gives us wisdom. Anybody here need wisdom? How many of you got enough? Yeah, I don't have enough. I need a bunch of wisdom. See, the Holy Spirit is also called the Spirit of Truth, the one who guides us into making godly choices and godly decisions. We need God's wisdom, not just for spiritual things, folks. We need God's wisdom when we begin to pursue a mate in life. Amen? I watched God choose my son's wife. We prayed for her. Boy, he did a good job. He did such a good. That woman is just what Bud needed because she's everything he's not. So we need to begin to seek him for a mate. We need to begin to seek him to say, what kind of career do you want me to do? God, we need to, to seek him about raising children. If we don't seek him, the world's going to give us some bomb scoop. I can tell you television is not the right way to raise your children. What you see on TV is wrong. And we have a class on Wednesday night where Pastor Larry has been painstakingly week after week pouring into our young families about their relationship with each other. What does God say about that? What does God say about godly discipline and bringing up children? I'm going to tell you what, we need to learn it from God's word. We need his wisdom. We need God's wisdom for everything. And the minute we think we don't, we're in trouble. Holy Spirit gives us wisdom. He also gives us enduring strength. The Holy Spirit gives us the enduring, persevering, lasting power to stand against persecution until God defeats our enemy. He gives us the staying power. I was always a sprinter, believe it or not. 
Now, in boot camp, I became a marathon runner. But I was a sprinter because I didn't have the endurance to keep running and running and running. At one time in my life, I was very quick, but for short distance. We can't live the Christian life like that. He gives us the staying power to keep going no matter what our feelings tell us. Let me ask you, be honest. Have your feelings ever steered you wrong? If you say no, you're lying. (laughs) Feelings are important, but feelings can confuse us. We cannot run on our feelings. We got to run on God's promises. Because there's going to be times it looks like the bottom's falling out. So the Holy Spirit gives us wisdom. He gives us enduring strength. And he gives us courage. Courage does not mean you do not have fear. Courage means in spite of my fear, I'm going to move ahead anyhow. There's a big difference. I remember when the Coast Guard, when I'd go out, you know, and people never seem to get in trouble out on the sea on a nice, calm, sunny day. There are always 12, 15-foot seas. The sky is falling open. And I remember many times breaking a jetty, and my heart was full of fear, but I had courage because I'd had training, and I also had my Savior with me. Yeah, courage doesn't mean we don't have fear in our life. It just means that we're going to keep on. None of us is strong enough to take the devil on. I want you to know something. I don't ever want to lift him up, but he was one of three archangels at one point. So he is powerful. Don't you ever try to take him on by yourself because he will whoop you good. So he gives us wisdom. He gives us enduring strength. He gives us courage. And he gives us the ability to withstand temptation. See, that's what's counter to that doctrine where you're talking about. Well, God will understand. No, he doesn't. He's given us a way to withstand temptation, but we've got to apply it. Resist the devil and he will flee. How did Jesus resist the devil in the ten, in the, out in the, uh, by the word of God? Satan doesn't like the word of God. He knows the word of God, but he don't like it. So if, if you know the 23rd Psalm, I'm pretty sure he doesn't like that one either. Whatever scripture you know, quote it to him. It'll run them off. See, every one of us needs God's power to infuse our will so that we truly have willpower. See, true willpower doesn't come from my determination or my my, uh, sincerity. I've been sincere a lot of times in my life, and I was sincerely wrong. It is as we express God's wisdom and strength and courage and fortitude to say no to temptation, that's when our witness about Jesus Christ is demonstrated by our actions as well as our words. Believer, there's nothing more detrimental to the kingdom of God than you and I identifying ourselves as believers out in the world and then acting like the world. That is a bad message to send. And that that message has permeated the American church because the American church has tried to look like the world and try to be as close and as much like the world as we think we can get away with. And that's why we've not had an effect on the world. The world's had an effect on us because we're trying to do this religious thing and this church thing on our own power. It is God's Holy Spirit enabling us to speak and to act wisely and to be consistent 
over time and bold on behalf of what is right and then do it in a godly manner. It is God's spirit that helps us do that. Our exercising good judgment reveals the Holy Spirit within us. And that says to the world, there's something different about that woman. There's something different about that man. I don't know what it is, but there's something different about it. What they've seen is that wisdom and that courage and that consistency. Now, does that mean we're perfect? Ain't not a single one of us in here perfect. Some of us are closer than others. No, I'm just kidding. There's none of us perfect. But I can tell you what, they begin to see the joy in your life. And people want that joy. You can't buy it. We've all been around people that have got more money than anything else, and there's no joy in their life. You can't buy joy, but you can see it in the life of a believer who's walking and in tune with the Holy Spirit. There's great joy. Working up there. Is that hard work up there, Tony? It's brutal. Andy? (laughs) Yes. It's brutal, but there's great joy because we're serving our Savior and making a real difference in people's lives. The Holy Spirit working in us and through us sets the stage for us to proclaim the truth that Jesus is the only begotten Son of God who died for our sins, that we might be born again spiritually and receive eternal life. Well, the second reason God sent the Holy Spirit is it it gives us the enabling power to do the ministry of Christ Jesus. Apart from our daily walk and witness, we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to engage powerfully and enthusiastically in the specific ministry that God has given us. Now, sometimes you've got to try some. You're just not sure. I, I, remember, I remember teaching junior high church training. I loved those kids. That was not the right place for me. Yeah, they learn differently. In fact, you can't even tell they're learning. Because the boys will be sitting in the back row and they look. And the girls are doing their nails. And I'm going, this is not gratifying. This is not my place. I drove a bus in ministry to pick up little kids, and that was fun. But I'll tell you, when I found my area of giftedness was teaching adults. And that interaction with them. And then leading people to Jesus Christ. I get so excited about people accepting Jesus Christ, it's because God has given me a passion and a gift for evangelism. And when we find that, it just makes you, it gets you excited and you're enthusiastic. And by the way, if you're serving in the right area of giftedness, we're going to talk about that, not next week, the week after. When you're serving in the right area of giftedness, it'll pump you up. It won't wear you down. It'll pump you up, won't it, Greg? When you begin to use that gift that God's given you to to bring the body of Christ along, to grow the body of Christ, it is very fulfilling. Miss Carol, yesterday, after after the fellowship at our brother's funeral, we had a fellowship. I said, Carol, thank you for what you do. She says, I love doing it. Bingo. You know, it was after Jesus returned from the temptation in the wilderness that he began his act of teaching and healing ministry. This is an example for us. The scripture tells us that news spread throughout the region. And as he taught in the synagogues, Luke 4, 15 says he was glorified by all. This is at the start. But he goes on to tell us that when Jesus arrived in Nazareth, he went into the temple and began to read the scroll 
from the prophet Isaiah. Listen to what Jesus read. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Okay, the, the Spirit of the Lord was upon him, and what was the purpose? To proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. See, Jesus made it clear here that the Spirit was upon him to anoint him for the specific ministry that lay ahead of him. Let me run the clock back just a little bit here, okay? When Jesus was baptized by John, the Holy Spirit, remember, descended upon him as a, in the likeness of a dove. And, and God the Father said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Now, there was some real significance at Jesus' baptism. First of all, he was baptized because he was beginning his ministry as a high priest, our high priest. If you go back to the Old Testament, when a, a a, high, or a priest was getting ready to serve in the temple, and it was his turn to come, they would do a ceremonial washing from top to bottom in water in preparation for him to serve as the priest on duty. So Jesus was baptized because he began his ministry, not because he got saved, <laughs> okay? Now, he did set an example for us, but he's saying the Holy Spirit has anointed me. So when we run the clock back, he was baptized by John. The Holy Spirit descended upon him. Then Scripture tells us that the Spirit, capital S, led him out into the wilderness to be tested. Uh, King James uses the word tempted. I'm going to tell you what, our Lord and Savior was not tempted to sin. He didn't have our sin nature. He was tested That's the true Greek word there. He was tested in all ways like we are, yet without sin. So then after 40 days experience, he came to Nazareth where he read this scroll that says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the news to the poor. That's why the spirit of the Lord came upon Jesus. Was he all God? Yes. Was he all man? Yes. But this is an example of how his anointing was demonstrated. And it prepared him for his ministry. Jesus made it clear that the Spirit was upon him to anoint him for the specific ministry that lay ahead. Now, let's look at another person that went through this same process. Because, you know, you say, well, you're talking about Jesus. All right, I'm going to talk about someone who was very different than Jesus. His name was Saul. He was traveling around killing Christians. Okay, it wasn't very Jesus-like at that moment. He was a Pharisee named Saul. He was persecuting the church. He had a divine encounter with the Lord on his way to Damascus, and he yielded Christ's message that day. But he was led blind and trembling into Damascus. This is a big change for Saul. Arrogant, wise Pharisee. You couldn't be a Pharisee unless you could quote the Torah by memory. So he had a lot of knowledge about God. He just didn't know God. Okay? So here he is. He's led into Damascus where he remained for three days, neither eating or drinking. 
Then a disciple named Ananias came, laid hands on Saul, and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately Saul received his sight, was baptized, received food, and was strengthened, and then he went and preached in a synagogue that Christ was the Son of God. You tell me salvation isn't a miracle. So what made the difference in Paul's life? By the way, God changed his name from Saul to Paul. Same guy. Different. It was the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit that he experienced as a result of what? Believing and accepting Jesus as his Savior. Don't underestimate what has happened to you upon salvation. God's Spirit is in your life. Let's start tapping into it. I'm sorry, I'm going to get Pentecostal here shortly. Yeah. This is the truth. If we get a hold of this, it's going to change our county. It's going to change our state. It'll change our country. It'll certainly change our lives. It was the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. Now, what is true for Jesus and Paul is also true for you and me. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, this Holy Spirit that indwelt Jesus and indwelt Paul indwells you. See, one of the primary reasons the Holy Spirit indwells our life is so that you and I can boldly and effectively do the ministry that God has called and prepared us to do. Peter, I love the way Peter puts it. He didn't say, now, if you get a gift, he said, use whatever gift you've been given. Can you imagine what we're capable of, uh, capable of? In fact, next week we're going to explore that a little bit. As we surrender to the Holy Spirit, what are we capable of? Whatever he's capable of. Each of us has received a divine gift. What a divine gift is a special ability to serve within the kingdom of God. It's different than a talent. I've known a lot of talented people that are lost. But when you receive Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit come, you you have been given at least one gift. And I believe that if you'll use that gift, he'll give you more. We will be talking about these gifts in the next couple weeks. So next, I just quickly, I want to, what is our response to the Holy Spirit's power in us? Once you have believed in Jesus Christ and received the Holy Spirit, you can never again say this. I can't do that. This is not a recruiting poster, but it ought to hit home. I, I can't teach. The Holy Spirit can. He knows everything. Hello. And by the way, any of you that have taught, when do you learn the most? When you're studying and preparing. Oh, man. Oh, man, we can never say that when God calls us to do something. Why? Because God has given us the Holy Spirit. I hope you hear the words Holy Spirit in your sleep. He's given us the Holy Spirit to indwell and enable us. There's only one option left for you and I when God calls us, and that is obedience. To say, here I am, Lord. Use me. Use me. 
That's scary. It doesn't have to be scary. Don't we trust him? I mean, I'm with you on that. For a long time, I felt like God wanted me to surrender to missions. I struggled with it because it was two places were not on my list, New York City and Africa. And I was afraid if God called me to be a missionary, that's exactly where he'd send me. What a bad opinion I have of God. Because if he sent me there, he would work all things together for good for me if I was working according to his purpose. Hello. Amen. Here I am, Lord. Now, you may be saying, but I'm inadequate. I feel inadequate. Brother, sister, we're all inadequate. We are all inadequate. That's why God gave us the Holy Spirit. This beginning to make a lot of sense to me. Anytime that you feel and you have feelings of inadequacy, there's three things that I, I, I'm going to suggest here for you to do. And they come from God's word. Number one, when you feel inadequate, recognize your need of the Lord or for the Lord. Recognize your need. Okay, I'm feeling inadequate. It could be about anything. Things to feel inadequate about. One of mine is financial wisdom. I'm very inadequate. And so God... Give me my wife, who's very adequate at that, and keeps me on the right path. Say, Father, give me the wisdom to listen to her. So when I'm feeling inadequate, recognize my need for the Lord. Admit to the Lord. Admit to him. He knows it. Why do I need to tell him? I don't need to tell him so he knows. I need to tell him so he knows I know. That's why we ask for forgiveness for our sins. Our sins are forgiven, but what it does is it realigns me back in my love affair with him. That's why I tell my wife I'm sorry. Whether I think I'm right or wrong, it doesn't matter. I want to be back in fellowship with my wife. That's the same way with our Savior. Second, rely upon him. Peter says, cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. The big ones, the little ones. You know, there's big and little ones for us. There's no bigger little ones for God. God can do anything. I mean, he keeps track of seven plus billion people on earth today. And everything that's going on in heaven and keeps all the planets in place. And, and we shared Wednesday night. Didn't we have a good time sharing what God's done in our lives and how he keeps track of the little details and how he shows us he loves us? Recognize your need for the Lord. Rely upon him. He said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And then take a step of faith. Act upon what he's called you to do. But I'm not sure. Take a step of faith. Let me ask. I'm going to throw this out. This is my two cents. If God's calling you to do something, He won't let you go. No, he won't let you go. If it's really his call, he'll call you and he'll keep calling you until you've turned him out so long that you're out of fellowship with him. But that's how you can tell if it's God speaking to you. He'll keep speaking to you. It's the goal is to bring himself glory. We talked about that. That's our purpose in life. Let's do a quick refresher. What's God's will for every man and woman, boy and child, boy and girl? To know him, absolutely. Thank you, Shirley. A plus. 
God's will. If you're seeking God's will in your life, stop seeking it. Listen, his will for every one of us is to know him. And his purpose is for us to bring him glory because he deserves it. So whatever we're doing, if we'll do it as unto him, it'll bring him glory. And I guarantee you, he'll thank you. He won't let you down. Listen, nobody can steer or guide a parked car if it's parked wrong. It's only when that car is put in gear, the accelerator is applied, and the car begins to move that the car can be maneuvered and guided. So take a step in faith and act upon what he's called you to do. Get moving. He'll guide you. You're not going to leave you, so you know he'll be involved. So why did God send the Holy Spirit? To enable us to be his witnesses. The world needs Jesus. Our country needs Jesus. There's people in our community in America that have never heard who Jesus is. We don't need to go to the Dominican to spread the gospel. We need to go right over here and over here and over here to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit will give us the power and the passion to do that. And the other thing is he'll enable us to do his supernatural work. We can't do his supernatural work, but he can through us. What a tremendous gift God has given us. May we learn to use it for his glory. Next week, we're going to talk about your full potential. I can't wait. I hope you're here. This is so cool. Would you pray with me? In closing this morning, maybe we just bow our head and kind of tune the world out for a moment so we can just listen to God's spirit. What is he saying to you this morning? What has God said to you? His spirit is here. He's in many of our lives. I don't know if he's in everybody's life here. So maybe you're hearing this and going, this sounds good, but... I don't sense the Holy Spirit in my life. And according to what you said, preacher, unless I've accepted Jesus as my Savior, God's Spirit's not in my life. So I've been trying to go it on my own. How's that going? It can't be good. It's got to be lonely. It's got to be frustrating. But it doesn't have to stay that way. morning and God's spirit has been talking to you you sense you sense this saying I I want I want I want that you can have it that's why he's speaking to you he's drawing you to salvation all you have to do because Jesus everything else he's paid the price and he's offering you the gift you have to unwrap it how you unwrap that gift of salvation is by saying Jesus I'm a sinner. I've broken your laws, and I'm sorry that I did that. And I want to have salvation in my life. I want what you did on the cross, Jesus, to pay for my sin, my sin. I want you to be my personal Savior. Just talk to him just like this. In your own words, just invite him to come into your life. He's been knocking on your door. That's it. That's what you sense. 
You say, but I got to stop doing this or I got to change this. No, let him change you. Just give yourself to him this morning. Believer, give yourself afresh to him. Saying, God, whatever you want. Say, well, I don't know if I'm ready. God, whatever you want. I want you to use me. So if you're here this morning with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, just tune in the world out. If you're here this morning, you say, listen, I just prayed with you to accept Jesus. Or I want to accept Jesus. Just raise your hand. Let me just, just up and down, up and down. Anybody. God's been speaking to you. You can sense that. That's his spirit. Anyone at all. Believer, has God been speaking to you? Oh, I think he has. I know he's been speaking to me. He says, we got to stop doing church the way we've been doing it. We got to start walking and talking in the power of the almighty God, or we're not going to be able to see the world changed. There's not going to be change in our life. If you want change in your life, you want tomorrow to be different than yesterday, then we've got to surrender ourselves completely. Don't be holding nothing back. Give it to him. Give it to him. Everything right now. You say, God, I'm laying it all on the line. I'm yours. You've bought and paid for me. You've given me your spirit. I'm yours. Do in my life what you will. If you want me to get baptized, then tell me you want me to get baptized. If you want me to join this church, then tell me that's what you want. If you want me saved and I'm holding on to that pew in front of me, God, by the power of your spirit, bring change in our lives today. We worship you. We thank you, Father, for such a great plan. Work amongst us in a mighty way, please. Davenport needs it. Florida needs it. America needs it. In Jesus' holy, precious name I pray. Amen.